welcome. Thank you for choosing to listen to this spirit-filled word by David Entry. When you catch a word, you have caught God. May you catch a word today that will cause God to change your story. Be blessed. Second Peter chapter 1 from verse 1 to 4. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. Shall we please pray? Father, we thank you and thank you and thank you again for giving us the opportunity and the chance and the privilege and the ability to come together around your word. We pray that as we get into your word, get into us by your word. As we hear your word, let us hear from you. I submit myself unto the influence of your spirit that carry me, O Holy Spirit, as I communicate these timeless and eternal words to your precious people. We're all around the world in this particular moment. In Jesus' name, as your word is taught, heal the sick, deliver the captives, bring direction to the confused, save the lost, and let your name be glorified so your people be edified and our generation will be notified. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hallelujah. Amen. What a powerful text. In our previous teaching, I made, if you remember, I made you, I mean, t t when it comes to stuff like this, like these, it's always important to have your Bibles with you where possible. And so in the verse 3 and the verse 4, I said there are some statements there that are worth taking notice of. Um, one, I spoke about uh, five statements that we should give attention to or they are interrelated and interconnected. The first one is, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. That's one statement. Through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. That's two. And the third statement is in the verse four, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. That is three, four, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, uh, four. And then five, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So these are very powerful statements, and I think it would be good to take it from the reverse order. It says that having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We live in a generation or we live in the human flesh which is fraught with lust. There is so much 
last in the world. It didn't start today. It started from the beginning. It started from the beginning. And the heart of man after the fall, its first impact is on the human spirit. Okay? And the human spirit is a part of the human heart. So its first impact was upon the human heart. The fall, it hit the human heart so bad, our hearts became, according to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, the heart is wicked above all, or the, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart of man. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, Bible talks about how God says that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent, watch this, intent of the thought of his heart was only evil, not temporarily, not once in a while, continually, permanently evil. The thought of his heart was only evil, only evil. You, we were born naturally with a natural proclivity for evil. You don't have to teach a child how to lie. Mm. You don't have to teach a child how to be naughty. You don't have to, uh, you don't teach the child that don't do that. Stop it. Uh, no, stop it. You don't, it comes naturally. It's a reflection of the condition of the fallen man. In Genesis chapter 8 verse 21, um, God said, I will not, spoil. he made a vow, a covenant that I will not, the Lord smell the soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. You, you, education doesn't take care of that thing. That is why you can be highly educated and yet an educated devil. Yeah. <laughs> mm. A clever devil. And listen, education is good. Please don't get me wrong. But I'm talking mental exercise, good training does not eliminate the condition of the falling heart. Nothing can change the condition of the falling heart except one. Nothing except one thing. And so the heart of man is, is evil from his youth. And when you read um, the, the book of Proverbs chapter 6 verse 14, it's an interesting text. It says that perversity is in the heart. He devises evil continually. He sows this court. Perversity is in their hearts. It's there. It's there. It's the condition of the fallen humanity. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 3, the Bible tells us that this is an evil in all that is done under the sun. That one thing happens to all. Truly, the heart of the sons of men are full of what evil. Madness is in their heart while they live. <laughs> <laughs> madness in, so you see without God uh, you, you can be a judge but madness is in your heart you can be a lawmaker and be making mad and crazy laws to enhance the, the wickedness or to create the platform for perpetuation of the wicked condition of the heart does that mean that man can do good oh man can do good Man can do good. Uh, sometimes by virtue of our exposure, uh, uh, societal norms, it can help us to do good. But listen, listen, deep in the heart, the heart of man is deceitful above all things. It's continually evil. 
one way or the other, some way, somehow, you would have even assumed that civilization will reduce the level of evil and crime. Rather, the higher we get, we look civilized, the more and the, the, the more sophisticated the crime is. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, our crimes are. Laws are being made every day. New laws. New laws. Can you can imagine? New laws. New laws are being made every day. And yet, new ways of breaking them are... You see, I was talking to somebody who is a professional who is into crime prevention. And that he says that criminals are always a step ahead of the law. Wow. <laughs> so the law has to be made to catch up with them. Yeah. Criminals are always ahead. Something comes. By the time you realize... Um, a new software has been developed and before you could say Jack, someone has found a way to hack into the software to download all your money. So later on they say, ah, no, no, there's a, see, criminals, crime is always, because the heart of man is desperately wicked. You might look very good and very holy, but the, the condition of your heart, in fact, Matthew chapter 15 verse 19, this, this is Jesus. Jesus' own words. This is right. It says that out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts. That thing is inside you. Out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murder, adultery, fornications, <laughs> fornication, theft, false witness, blasphemies. Out. Where is it coming from? The heart. The law can only catch your hands. The law cannot catch your. Human law cannot catch your heart. So then man has a condition. Uh, we are born skewed. We are born with a deformity and it's a condition of the heart. The heart is not perfect. But God is a good God and it's a perfect God. God said, you know what? The only way to fix the problem of man is just give them a new heart. So in... Ezekiel 36, 26, it says that I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit inside you. Hey, I'll take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. You see, we look soft on the outside, but inside there's a different condition. And God said, I'll perform a heart surgery, a heart surgery, because the core of a man, Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4, said, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The issues of life, issues out of your heart. Who you are stems out from your heart. That is why you cannot love outside of your heart. The core of you is from your heart. The core of you is inside. Your heart is the center of your being. The center. That's why when you are born again, God gives you a new heart by sending, letting His Spirit come into your heart, and His Son dwells in your heart, dwells in you, your heart, your heart. And God said in Proverbs, "Give me your heart." Now, watch this. And because of the condition of man's heart, we have the tendency, and we are inclined, and have the proclivity to be under the control of lust. Is what's lust? Lust is evil desires last is evil desire evil desire and everybody has some kind of last why because of the evil incline of the heart 
The evil incline of the heart makes us have an evil desire. Evil desire. Every human being has got a problem, a heart problem, which makes us be under the control. Our desires are tuned and, and bent. Watch this, watch this. Our natural instincts, by default, our desires are bent away from the nature of God. Our desires are bent away from God. We don't have it in us to just desire God unilaterally. No man has in himself to desire God and to desire the things of God. That is why the Bible clearly says that it is God who is at work in you. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13. It's God who is at work in you, both to will and to do. So there are two aspects of working with God or doing anything for God. It's the willing and doing. It starts with a will. That desire to do something for God, that desire to read your Bible, that desire to be a nice person, that desire to obey God, that desire to please God didn't start from you because no human being has got it in him to please God. By default, we have got it in us to disobey God. That's why Bible says we are children of wrath. We are children of disobedience. We were children of disobedience. We were born with a condition of disobedience. In Ephesians chapter 2, we are sons of disobedience like others. All right, so it's important to understand that by nature, we are inclined, we are skewed, we are, uh, our, our default by human default by nature is moving and migrating away from God. We move away from God. And when I say from God, that means that the pleasure of God, the nature of God, the uh, godliness, what God will do. You see, uh, the writer says that, that I may love what you love and do what you will do doesn't come naturally. It must be born. Jesus puts it in this way. John chapter 6, verse 44. He says that you cannot come to me except the Father draws you. You can by your own will decide that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Draws him, God himself. So those of us who are born again and are in church, don't think it's because you are so good, because you are, we are, I'm so intelligent, I'm so kind. No, no, no. God initiated it. It was God who drew you near, nearer to him. No, somebody preached to me. Yeah, he orchestrated the preaching. I was feeling down. He orchestrated the situation that led to you feeling down and then made it coincide with the one preaching to you and you believe God is the mastermind behind your salvation. That is why we cannot cease, we cannot cease praising him. We are always up because whatever we are is purely because of his goodness and his grace. Hallelujah. And so we are skewed away from God, the nature of God. Everyone who is born, we are going away from God. We grow away, can you imagine? We, we grow away from God. We grow away from God. As you are growing, you are growing away from God. You are born away from God and you grow further away from God. That is why those who will be in hell will not stop hating God. When you are in hell, you even hate God more and more, not because of hell, but because you are now, the restrictions that stop you from going far are removed. And so you hate him so much that it makes you qualify for more punishment and more punishment. And so the punishment in hell escalates. 
eternally. It's increasing and increasing because we, we, we will keep hating God and hating God and not liking God and not liking God and the punishment and the repercussion of not liking God is his judgment will be increasing and increasing. So it's not like one sin sending you to hell. When you are in hell, you even become full-blown proper enemy and sinner. No, without restrictions. It's not your actions, your intent, your call. Your call. I'm talking about the heart. Your call will become worse. <laughs> Praise God. So when we are alive, we don't have, we have the, watch this. No, don't get me wrong. I don't say we don't have the ability to behave right. We have it. We have the ability to be civic. We have the ability to be moral. We have the ability. Everyone has got a certain dimension of ability. It's, it's just basic human abilities. Human abilities to do good, to be nice, to be kind. To be, so we, that's why societies try to instill this in children and we tell them be, be nice, be fair. All those. It does not, please don't confuse fairness to Christianity. <laughs> the fact that you are such a nice person doesn't mean you are a God person. That, that's, there are two different things. Let, let's not confuse that. Because as I read last week, it spoke about how... Um, Verse 3, according as his divine power has given to us the things that pertain to life and godliness. There, there is something about godliness that we don't have it in ourselves to, to carry out. So it has, it, there is something else. Something in Latin is extra nos, outside of yourself. It's a foreign ability. It's an alien ability. It's not intrinsic. It's synthetic. Outside of yourself. An ability that is Outside of you is implanted. That's the key word I used last week. It's, in, it's implanted, it's infused, it's granted by his power that is in you to be able to do everything that pertains to life and godliness. I'm talking about Zoe, the life of God and, and godliness. And so human beings are naturally skilled. And so guess what? We are all in a big atmosphere being controlled by the devil who is using the last of the world, which has a major ally in us, which is the condition of our heart. Because of the condition of our heart, we are susceptible to the last of the world, and we can't say no. Watch this. We develop appetites, nature. Watch this. I'm about to say something. Every nature comes with an appetite. So if you have the dog nature, you develop the dog appetite. <laughs> if you have the monkey nature, you develop monkey appetites. It's bananas you like, not bones, not bones. But the goats and the sheep and the cattle, because they have the goat life, the sheep life, the cattle life, that's what makes them like grass. The rabbit has a rabbit life, so he likes carrots. <laughs> now you have the human life, so you like sinning. <laughs> Lustful, our last evil last. They are just we are we are born and you are like sometimes. Oh, why do I have these feelings? Why do I feel so bitter? Why do I feel so vengeful? Why do I feel so angry? Why do I feel so wicked? You know, harmful. I just want to do something. Why, why do I sometimes feel angry? Why sometimes I just don't want to even react in a certain way, but I find myself keeping doing it, keeping doing it, keeping doing it because of the inclines of your heart. It makes you come under the control of the last that is in this world. That's what the scripture says. Having escaped the corruption, hmm, there is corruption in the world, okay, that corruption operates through your last, mm. your desires, 
So then we need a certain type, another desire. The divine nature also brings, watch this, divine appetites. Mm -hmm. So I was saying that by nature, human beings are not inclined. By default, we are not inclined towards God. But guess what? By adoption, by the uh, second birth, by regeneration, we have the divine nature that produces the divine appetite, the things of God. It is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do. God, there are appetites that are born in you. Galatians chapter 4 says, because ye are sons, God has sent for the spirit of his sons into your hearts. Verse 6, because ye are sons, God has sent for the spirit of his son into where? Your heart. You see, the problem was the heart. The problem, God has sent for the spirit of his son. I told you this thing, to produce godly traits is not from intent, it's not from you. It's not unilaterally from you. It must be outsourced <laughs> from above, from the divine life. Are you getting it? And so it says that God has sent for the, the, the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father! So there is a cry when you are born again, when you are regenerate, when you know Christ, there is a cry from your inner man. Abba, Father, it cries towards God. It moves towards, why do babies like milk like that? Because of the human nature they've got. The human nature makes them like milk. They will do anything for milk. They will torture you for milk. They will terrorize you for milk. They will cry, give them the milk, and they are okay. Why? The human nature, the, the, the nature, the life is called life. When you put the, the feeding bottle or the tip of the bottle in, uh, in their mouth, they begin to suck. You don't have to teach a child how to suck. Life, life is called life. The appetite of life, nature. In the same way, when you have God, God has sent the spirit of sonship. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The problem where the problem is, new hearts, the son has come in, which cries, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. He cries out to God. The divine nature. Now watch this. So going back to the text, he said, the last statement there in the verse 4, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through last. The there is an escape. There's an escape from the corruption in this world. There is an escape. You can escape. Not everyone will come under the control and dom domination of worldly lust. There's an escape. You can escape the corruption, my brother. You can escape the corruption, my sister. How do I do that? It says that. So now, going back to the text, verse 4, I'll read it down again and look at the three statements. Where by are giving unto us exceeding great and precious promises, okay, that these promises are given to us. That's why. So that we, by these, by the promises, we or ye might be partakers. Oh, oh, all right. All right. Now, it talks about being partakers of the divine nature. The divine nature is not, doesn't mean we have deity. We don't have deity. But we have the nature of God. When you are born again, I, quote, I show you the scripture in Galatians 4, 6, how God has sent forth the spirit of his son. So in our hearts, inside us, we are carriers of the divine life. Jesus puts it this way, that uh, if you love me, John 14, verse 23, my father and I, 
We will come and make our abode in you. We will come and live in our home in, with you. You see, so there is this divine life in where you come, where you become born again. First Peter chapter one verse three. It talks about how we have been born again or regenerated us according who abundant message has begotten us again unto a livelihood through the resurrection. We have been begotten. He has born us. That is what it means to be born again. That a new life has been generated in you, and the control of the old life has been terminated, and the, the a new life of God has been germinated inside you when you are born again. That is what is a new birth. New birth. Listen, excuse me, excuse me. That's what Christianity is about. The life of God having expression in the human living. That's where Christianity starts from. And it's not doesn't start from us. God wills it. God plants it. And God implants it into us. That's his nature into us. That's what makes us born again. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I'm crucified with Christ. No longer I that live. But Christ, watch this, Christ lives in me. There is another life inside. There is a different life inside, which is different from the human nature. It has the divine nature. Hallelujah. Amen. Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. Yes. Christ lives in me. In Romans chapter 8 verse 11, if Christ lives in you, or if the spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, something is living inside us. When you are born again, there is something in you. Something in you. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 27, it, pu it puts it this way. Christ in you. Hallelujah. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ in you. The, that is the, the essence of the new birth. He has begotten us unto a living hope or unto a lively hope. That's what makes us a new creation. That's what makes us a new creation. It is not the reformation of our habits or the perfection of our life that makes us the new creation, but the implanting, the implant of the nature of God, which begins to radically affect the direction of our life. No, it does not consist in the perfection of your life, but, but the direction of your life. A new appetite by virtue of the nature of God has been born. It, it, it makes you inclined. You move in a certain direction. The answer to the pollution of this world is the nature of God, the nature of Christ, the life of God inside human beings. I'm talking about the life. The people in church are different people, man. I'm not talking about everybody who goes to church. I'm talking those in Christ, okay? Let me just clarify. Those in Christ, once we are in Christ, we are very unique people. No wonder the Bible says that we are a, a peculiar people. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are a peculiar people. God, Father, we are chosen out of the many. We are unique. We are different. Exteriorly and externally, we might look like everybody, but boy, in the spirit and inside us, inside us, we are carriers of God. So human beings, as ordinary as we we are with our human nature and human flaws. Yet there is another nature in us, and that is where you, the believer, can choose to operate by the which nature you. Uh oh, I feel like preaching. If you are not born again, if you are not born again, you don't have a choice as to what nature to operate from. But if you are born again, it's like someone who has two cars. You can choose. Okay, am I going to travel by this car or that one? You have options. You have options. Yeah, you have got options. When you are born again, you have options so long as which direction your appetite or the direction of your desires you are going to follow. You are going to follow. 
And he says that we are partakers of the divine nature, having escaped. <laughs> it's like we have escaped. We have escaped. We have, we have not just overcome. We have also escaped. What everybody is susceptible to, we have escaped it. We have escaped it. We have escaped it. We have. It's not just dealing with demons. That is even lower. It's lower. Being born again is not just the power to deal with demons. Jesus said that this Bible says in the book of Luke chapter 10, that the disciples returned with joy because they said from verse 17, demons were subject to us. Jesus said, oh, oh. Is that why you're happy? He said, don't rejoice because demons are subject to you because I saw Satan fall like lightning. <laughs> he said, so, so Satan is not a problem, believer. Satan is not the problem. Satan is our inability to activate and work by our new nature. That is the problem. And lust and flesh is reigning in the life of the believer. That is the problem. Because the believer has now the installation, the implant, the ability, the enablement, the empowerment to be able to live by a different nature. Even though we are still living in the human nature. Human nature by expressing divine nature. Hallelujah! Amen. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And then, don't rejoice because demons are subject to you, but rejoice because of your connection in heaven, that your names are registered, your names are written, You're, you are a new creation. Heaven is operating through you. There's a, there's a human, there's a life, life. Satellites, let me use this just for explanation, right? There's, it's like a satellite in heaven that beams life. And is beaming the nature and the life of God through human beings here. And he said, be happy that now you have what it takes to receive the heavenly transmission. Life, oh, the life transmission from above. You, a believer, you, the born again Christian, you, the one who are in Christ, you have the ability to receive the transmi life transmission from heaven and replicate and reflect it and shine it and live it on earth so you can escape the corruption that is in this world through lust. So now let's go back to the text. It's interesting. Whereby, I'll, I'll jump back to the verse 3 and then flow down. According as his divine power has given, I, last week I said has planted, has granted, has infused, in, you, are, you understand that, has given unto us all things, not some things, all things, Whatever it takes to live a godly life, his divine power has given to us. Wow. Wow. You don't have an excuse. You can stop the messing up. You can stop. See, you can overcome the pornography. Yes. You. You can overcome the lying. You can overcome the stealing. You can overcome the bitterness. Yes. You can overcome it. Yes, you have what it takes if you are in Christ. You have what it takes. You can overcome it. You can stop the smoking. You can stop the things that make you susceptible to the corruption of this world. You can stop it. You can stop it. Yes, you can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can, bro. That's Christianity I'm talking about. Yes, you can. You are a Christian, and so the life of God is being beamed. It's being transmitted from above through you, having an expression on this earth. How did God do it? By implanting his power. So he says that according as his divine power has granted, has planted in us, given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Watch this. The source is the power. Mm -hmm. 
The goal is life and godliness. What's the means? Through the knowledge of him. So, watch, this is very important. When you get born again, power is planted in you. But the power can't be operative or operational in the absence of knowing Christ, experiential knowledge of him. Here, he didn't say who. He said him, not them. In the verse 1 and the verse 2, he mentions God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 1 talks about the God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Verse 2 talks God and Jesus our Lord and of Jesus our Lord. So God and Jesus, God and Jesus. Verse 3 says through him, the knowledge of him. The him is not, it's not them. It's talking about the same knowledge of God and Jesus is the knowledge of him. Oh. Not knowledge of them. He's a him. No, he's a them. He's a him. The knowledge of him. The knowledge of him. Through the knowledge, as you know, this our God and our Savior. The God and our Savior. The God, uh, the knowledge of our God and our Savior. Guess what? Guess what? Guess what? The power begins to have effect inside you. So that test stands to imply that our inability to grow in knowledge is the reason for our frustrations in our, our Christian journey. Our inability to grow in the knowledge of God, all right? It was clear. It didn't say knowledge of everything. It said knowledge of God and Christ, knowledge of him. Our inability to grow in knowledge, and this, as I said, is full knowledge, is experiential knowledge, epigenosco, epigenosco, okay? Or, or epignosis, better. Epignosis. The epignosis is the full knowledge, growing knowledge. You are inc increasing knowledge, all right? So, uh-oh, the more you are increasing in your knowledge of Jesus, the more the power, <laughs> the power that gives us all things that pertain to life and godliness operates and works through your growing knowledge, experiential knowledge, real knowledge. You are knowing him. You tell a child, Daddy, what is this? He said, it's hot, it's hot, it's hot. And then the child goes this way, it's hot? He said, yeah, it's hot. Then he touches, ah, daddy, it's hot. That's an experiential knowledge. Next time, daddy, what is that? It's hot. Ah, it's hot. He has an experiential knowledge of it. He doesn't have to touch it. Oh, wow, wow, wow. It's not just head knowledge, experiential knowledge. You have practiced Christ. You have learned, he said, if so, you, ha you have learned Christ. We learn Christ. He said, learn of me. Mm. Matthew chapter 11. Learn of me. And they said, if so, you have learned Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4. So, so we learn of Christ. As you grow in your knowledge of God, in your knowledge of him, as you grow, guess what? The power is being given the opportunity to manifest. Mm. As you grow in your knowledge of him, now the power is taking effect. <laughs> Hallelujah. The power is taking effect. The power is taking, what kind of effect? Effect, the power that makes you be able to live life and godliness in its fullness. Now watch this. Watch this. What knowledge? He said, watch this. There's something there. I know you have not noticed it, but I need you to look at the text again. According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness throughout the knowledge of him. Who is this him? Him who has, oh, oh, he has called us unto glory and virtue. All right? 
Now, when you read, the word translated to is also can be translated by. And both is right. So the New American Standard Version uses, he has called us by glory and virtue. By his own glory and his excellence. The virtue there is excellence. Virtue. Um, the, the, the Greek word virtue, I wrote, it, I, I wrote you that, uh, arete, which means moral excellence. Now, re remember, I said that he has given us to all things that pertain to life and godliness. I said no morality. Does that mean morality doesn't matter? Oh, it does. Yes, it does. But that is not what, that's not what determines anything. Okay, when it talk about our walk with God, is the life of God and which exp is expressed through godliness that matters. Now, when you begin, watch this, when you begin to know God, you will begin to understand that he has called us to glory and virtue. Virtue is moral excellence. So the more you are growing in God, the more you have value for moral excellence. The more you are getting closer to God, by default, automatically, even the evil heart that every man has doesn't influence you because you are beginning to understand that you have been called to virtue and glory so much that it's, it's preoccupied and it takes major part of your direction, the direction of your life. Now, the virtue there, you can also render it sanctification, purity, moral purity, sanctification. Cleanliness, sanctification. Jesus said, watch this. This is very important, brothers and sisters. The chief agent of sanctification is the word of God. Yeah. Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 19, he said, I sanctified myself. Yeah, for their sakes. After their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified. How? By the truth. So what did Jesus use to sanctify himself? By the truth. The truth is the word of God. Verse 17, sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. Mm. Sanctify them by what? Your truth. Your word is truth. So the chief agent of sanctification, that's why you cannot afford not to grow in your knowledge of God's word. Yes. You can know God lower than you know his word. That your knowledge of God is in direct proportion to the word of God you know, you understand, which you practice. That's where sanctification starts. Sanctification takes place when you know God's word, understand it, okay? is the knowing and the understanding and practicing of the word you know and understand that generates sanctification, that causes the power that pertains to life and godliness to kick kick into place which makes you escape the corruption that is the world in the world and be partaker and be partaker of the divine nature you can't afford not to know get familiar with your bible christian your spiritual growth is in the direct proportion to your biblical pursuit it's very important because sanctification is by the truth of god's word all scripture is the main sanctifying agent. Yeah. All scripture. Oh, I mean, all scripture is the source of all sanctification. Scripture is the, the source of all sanctification. And so obedience to the truth. Obedience. So as you obey what you have seen in scripture, guess what? You are on a journey of sanctification. That's as simple as that. So it's not like you have become a nice person. No, no, no. Don't start from there. Please, you are making a mistake. 
Don't hold the stick at the wrong end. Don't start from, as soon as you start from morals and good works, you are making a mistake. You are getting to legalism. I do this, I don't do this, I do that, I don't do that. that. Don't start from there. Start from the life of God, your love for God, your appreciation. As you get to know him who has called us by virtue, uh, by, by his glory and virtue, into his, to his glory and virtue, as you know him, you begin to actually appreciate this virtue, appreciate this glory so much that it begins to become the direction of your life. It begins to influence the direction of your life. So you obey God, not because there is a law to obey. You obey God because he has saved you and given you his nature. And the more you are fellowshipping and knowing him, you are operating, you are inclined to be doing his thing. You are swimming against the natural human tide, the tides of the flesh. You are swimming against it because you know God. And the more you are knowing him and you are practicing his word, well, the more epignosco takes place or epignosis takes place, the more... Sanctification is happening. The more the power is supplying all that pertains to life and godliness, the more you become a partaker. Hallelujah. The more you partake, partake in the divine nature. Jesus. That's how Jesus did it for information. That Jesus was obeying the Father. John chapter 5 verse 19. John chapter 5 verse 30. John chapter 6 verse 38. John chapter 7 verse 38. John chapter 7 verse 39. John chapter 8. All through verse 29. Verse 30. Jesus was obeying the Father. As he obeyed the Father, he was practicing. He says that, I obey the one who sent me. I obey the one who sent me. John chapter 14, verse 31. I obey the Father who sent me. I obey the Father who sent me. It's my delight. In John chapter 4, verse 34, he said, My delight, my food, is to do the one who the work of the one who sent me. That is how Jesus said, I sanctify myself. The sanctification is through the word. The word of God is what makes you sanctified. The word of God, exposure to the truth, exposure to the truth of God's word. That is why in church, the central aspect of every Christian fellowship should be the opening of God's word. The word of God must be taught. The word of God must be taught. The, word, the more the word of God is taught, the more people get to find God. The more people, you no, know, even Christian music, the ones that cut deep and the ones that last is not the, the musicality of the song but is the word content the word content Christian singer gets get when you are compo composing song stop trying to say things that people are suffering and they want to hear get the word get the word load the word in your mouth speak the word and when you speak the word the people of God automatically gravitate uh oh if you are a genuine Christian the direction of of your where your life is towards the word of God. Wherever you find the word of God, you it's like it's like ah, you can't help it. You can't. You are addicted to a certain. You are skewed in a certain direction. Unbelievers may not understand you, but the word. Martin Luther put it this way: My conscience is held captive. Oh. The word, most deep cutting, deep so touching Christian songs are songs that are based on the word. Sometimes take just the word and sing the word. It will do the job. Sing the word. It will do the job. So every Christian gathering and every Christian relationship should be built on the word of God. I'm tired of people who keep saying, ask for you every time, Bible, Bible. What else? What else? I'm a product of a book. We are a product of the book. Every time, every time, Bible, Bible. Every time, Bible. What else? Excuse me. What else? Talk about business. Talk about politics. I'm not saying those things are not important. They might be important, but at the foundation of our life is the word. You find out later. He said, add to your faith. 
Faith is a foundation. Faith comes by hearing. Yeah, come on. Christian brother, Christian sister, start celebrating God's word again. Maybe it's a sign of backsliding. Yeah. When the word doesn't attract you, you have actually backslidden. I have loved your law more than my, I've loved your law more than my necessary food. Job chapter 12, I think verse 23, more than my necessary food. David said, Psalm 119 verse 97, oh, how love I thy law. They are my meditation. I'm preoccupied with your law, your word. That's why his impact has not, uh, the, the, the world has not forgotten it. Heaven has not recovered from the impact of David. Why? Because he loved God and it was evidenced in the word of God. And especially for God's word. So blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Psalm 1 verse 1. Nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. For, but watch this. Verse 2. It's important. You can't. But his delight. Delight. What's your, where, where is the direction of your desire? His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate. Come on. Come on. Jesus said, you are not of God. That's why you don't love the word of God. In John chapter 8, he said, he who is of God, heareth the word of God. <laughs> I mean, the word of God is the hallmark of the Christian. A desire, desire, insatiable desire for the word of God is the hallmark of a well-doing Christian. A Christian who is doing well is the one whose heart is hungry and wants more of God's word, wants more of God's word to practice because we grow in knowledge. As you grow in knowledge, as you grow in the word, that's the only platform upon which you can grow in your knowledge of God, which will make you glow in your journey, in your Christian journey. Glow to shine. The glory is called us to shine. Glory and virtue. But that cannot happen outside of the knowledge. God. Jesus said, the word of God, obeying the word of God is the chief ingredient for sanctification. Obedience. Obedience to the word you know. So it talks about that we'll be particulars of the divine nature. Um, and before it's okay, the power has given to us all the things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to virtue and glory. Watch this. Uh, as I, I'm getting ready to end. Watch this. this. This text is so packed. He has called us to watch, he has called us to glory and virtue. He has called us by his glory and by his virtue. Okay? He has called us by it to it. He has called us. Why? On the premise of that, whereby, uh -oh, whereby is given unto us, whereby are given, are given unto us, exceeding all, exceeding, I think, let me just quickly go through this because. I, Exceeding great and precious promises. Watch, watch, wait, 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 wait. This is so strong. Why did they give us the promises? So that, that by these, by these promises, we might be partakers of the divine. The word partaker, the Greek word, is, is, it means a, a, a sharer, like a shareholder, a sharer, an associate, a partner, a comrade. Okay, the Greek word is koinonos. Koinonia, like Siamese twins, they share same blood, they share same shoulder, or they share same head, or something. It's share, and so we are. We can partake. We can share in this divine nature. How? How? Through these precious and exceedingly great promises. Wow. The 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 promises are exceedingly great. I like the way the Amplified puts it. By means of this, He has bestowed on us His uh, his uh, precious and exceedingly great promises, so that through them you may escape by flight 
from the moral decay, she was say that is in the world because of covetousness and become what sharers or partakers of the divine nature. And so then, if God watch this, watch this. If God wants you to escape from the corruption that is in the world, he's not going to come like a Chinese ninja and say, corruption, stop in this life. I block corruption. I block, <laughs> I block corruption. Corruption, be gone. No, God doesn't do that. But instead, God, what, what's that, what God does? He gives us promises. Hey! He gives us promises. These promises are so great and excellent. They are magnificent. New American Standard Version puts it this way. Let's see. It said, for by this he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises. Huh. Magnificent promises. So these promises are, are grandiose. They are magnificent. And you can't look at it and ignore it. You can't look at the promises and ignore them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, the Bible talks about having therefore these great or precious promises. We, Christianity is a lifestyle full of promises. Hallelujah! Amen. Having these promises. Having these promises. Christianity, when you are with God, you are exposed to the promises of God. Promises of God. Promises of God. Promises of God. We have these promises. We can't afford to live anyhow. We have these promises. We can't afford to live less. We have these promises. We can't afford to live anyhow. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promises, look for new heavens. And see, a lot of things are going to change. Thank God for COP26. And governments doing something to try and all that, to save our world and all that. But things will still not get best and get better. Right? It's good to do as much as we can do to slow the process. But it's on its way down. Everything is on it. It's, it's Godlessness moves everything down. down. The whole, all creation was subjected to corruption because of sin. So it's on its way down. But guess what? We have this promise. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, we look for a new heaven. <laughs> we look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We have, Christianity is full of promises. In fact, there's a place the Bible calls us, watch this. I'm, I, I want you to get this before I end. There's a place the Bible calls we Christians the heirs of promise. Can you imagine? Hebrews, let me show you something in Hebrews. Chapter 6, verse 13. This is, I found this very interesting. Bible talks about how Abraham, watch it. For when God made a promise to Abraham, listen, listen, watch the, the grammatical construction very carefully, okay? The grammar there, it said, when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by, that starts to imply that promises go with swearing. Oh. How do you make a promise without swearing? But then when you are swearing, you have to swear by someone higher. But fortunately, there's no one higher than God. But when God made promise to Abraham, in human terms and anthropomorphic terminologies and relationships, you don't make promise without adding an oath or swearing. You can't, you can't, you can't say that, oh, I will marry you. I will marry you. No. Even when people say, will you marry me? They have to add a ring, promise ring. It's, it's, it's like 
I swear, when they see the ring, they know that it's someone, someone has. Uh, so when you when you marry, then you say, I'm, uh, from today, I take it to be my wife. You have to sign. So you, when you, when you make a promise, you have to sign it by an oath. And so when God also appeared to Abraham to make a promise to Abraham, God, God, sir, you can't, in, in, in human terms, you don't just make promise and walk away. You have to swear an oath. There might be something greater to back your promise. And so God, so, so now let's go back to the text. When God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he had to swear by himself, saying, in blessing, I'll bless you. In multiply, I'll multiply you. That's why he had to do that. And then look at verse 16. Look at verse 16. For men swear by greater, and an oath of confirmation is to them the end of all dispute. Once someone signs a letter, it means that signs the contract, he has accepted it. He doesn't have to, he has signed. So there's no dispute. So when God makes a promise, he also has to add something that removes dispute. Even though his promise is good enough, he is willing to back it with an oath because he's dealing with human beings. That's very important. Brothers and sisters, don't miss what I'm saying. So when, when, so when God was about to make a promise, because God is a God of promise, the more you get to him, the more you discover promises. Oh, oh. The more you get closer to God. In the Bible, there are 7,474 promises. Someone sat down and did a research. 7,474 promises in the Bible. Because the closer you get to God, the more you, you see promises. He, and his promises are glorious, great, exceeding, precious promises. Now, so when God made the promise to Abraham, he had to seal it with, a, with an, oath, an oath. He swore. He said, I'll bless you. Just so that Abraham can know that he gave Abraham two things. The promise is good enough. And then he had to swear as well. So his word, backing the promise, two things. They are so powerful. One of them is good enough. But God combined the two. He gave it to man. Watch this. Now go to the, the verse 17. That's God. Determining to show more abundantly to what? The heirs of promise. No, this is not Abraham. Anyone who comes to God for promise, we are heirs. We are not heirs of cars. We are not heirs of shoes. We are not heirs of blessing. We are heirs of promise. More abundantly to show the, to the heirs of promises. The immutability of, that means his counsel, his plan doesn't change. He also confirmed it by an oath. So now we have two things. The promise that doesn't change and the oath. Okay. So you have swear by an oath. So that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We might have what? We might have what? We might have strong encouragement. <laughs> Hallelujah. We might have strong encouragement. So when God promises you, he promises in such a way that the promise becomes your basis for encouragement to face the future. Watch this. Strong encouragement to lay hold of the hope set before us. Yeah. We have run to God from the corruption of this earth, but we are laying hold, hold of the hope. Sister, there's hope set before you. Bro, there's hope set before you. But if you are not careful, you'll be discouraged. You won't look up to the hope. But what God has done is that he has given us promises so that by them we will be have, able to have strong. In fact, when you read the New American Standard Version, if swaps, it's in a better way. So that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope. You see that? Mm -hmm. So we will have strong encouragement to do what? Take hold of the hope. There are promises. Now, what am I saying? We are heirs of promise. 
So God gives us promise and his oath just so that we can be encouraged to keep going. Now, in, in, first, in Second Peter, it talks about how he has given us precious promises so that by this oh so that by these promises not that by there's something promises do for us when you work with God and the more you begin to know God who has called us into virtue and 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 uh, into glory and virtue as you know him who has called us into glory and virtue you begin to discover watch this you begin to discover that God is full of promises there are great great promises and those promises become your platform for becoming or partaking and sharing in his divine nature so that you invariably escape the corruption that is in the world through lust hallelujah, hallelujah. I told you there's a lock pack in, in this, but my time is up. So it means that he has given us power. Watch this. I think let me just try it. Power has come, and by the power, we are able to partake. Okay? It gives us all things, giving us all things that pertain to life and godliness. The power that has been planted in us. Okay? Now, now the power only works as we begin to know God and experience God. The more we are knowing God, the more the power is working. But watch this. The more we are knowing God, the more we find out that God is, this God who has called us to virtue and glory has promises. So the more you are knowing God, the more you are discovering the promises. And the more you are discovering the promises, the more you are able to partake of the divine nature. And the more you partake in the divine nature, the more you escape from the corruption that is in the world. And so... Knowing God, it's all premise on knowing God. Knowing God makes the power work, and then knowing God makes us see the promises, which make us partake in divine nature to escape the cup. So knowing God is central. That's why you cannot grow in your knowledge of God. You can escape. You cannot escape the corruption because Christ is in you, and you are in Christ. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message by David Entry. When God speaks, works show, and the works will surely show in your life. To hear more from David Entry, follow him on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and subscribe to Caris Church on YouTube. Don't forget to share and subscribe to our podcast so you're always up to date. Be blessed.